0: This is Casey Ruff, your host of Boundless Body Radio. I'm here with another amazing guest that I would love to introduce now, Dr. Sean Baker. Dr. Baker is a U.S. veteran and an orthopedic surgeon. He is a world record holder in the deadlift and indoor rowing in his respective categories. Dr. Baker is most famous for an appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience in 2017 where he talked about the carnivore diet. Since then, he has written a book called The Carnivore Diet. He has become the CEO of RX, of which I am a coach of as of April of this year, and together with Zach Bitter, um, has hosted the HBO podcast. Welcome to the show, Sean Baker. Hey, Casey. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. It's so great to have you on. Um, I have to note for the listener that this is a very, very brief um, introduction. I could have done that for the entire hour with all the things that you have done in your life and accomplished. And so um, we're just really grateful to have you on.
1: Well, like I said, I appreciate it. It, the opportunity to, to, you know, at least hopefully have people open their minds up a little bit and think about some stuff. So thanks for the exposure.
0: That's great. Well, I have to admit, um, you definitely opened my mind back in 2017. I distinctly, distinctly remember where I was driving. Um, I was going to an early morning hockey game and I had Joe Rogan on and you were the guest. And it was the first time I was introduced to the carnivore diet. <clears throat> and I'm listening to you and going, what is this guy talking about? And I I, th- I think it was a question that, that he talked a little bit about blood work and I turned off the episode and I, to this day, have not listened to the full episode on Joe Rogan.
1: Hey, that's okay. I don't think I've even listened to the full episode on Joe Rogan. I, I, I you know, I think Joe's doing a great job, but I mean, I don't, I just don't have the patience to sit there for two, three, four hours to listen to podcasts.
0: <laughs> <So laughs> well, the podcast, little... <laughs> the podcast you were doing with Zach Bitter was pretty long.
1: Well, it was about an hour. Yeah. We typically, an hour, hour and 15 typically, but uh, huh. yeah, that's true. We do kind of go a little bit, but yeah. I guess, uh, you know, I mean, when you're doing them and you, you know, you, you, only have so many hours to the day and, uh, doesn't afford much luxury to listen to three hour podcasts typically yeah, right. for me anyway. Yeah,
0: right. you are going to have a life that you love. Um, I'm going to start out by asking you the same question. I asked a, co friend of ours, uh, Scott Meslinski, he hosts the carnivore cast. And the question Mm -hmm. is, if I don't eat vegetables, will I die?
1: Uh, uh, Well, eventually, yeah. I mean, everybody dies, right? So (laughs) fair point. the answer is yes, eventually you will die, but you will not die of any acute vegetable deficiency syndrome or anything like that. We haven't seen that occurring at least, you know, to any significant degree at all. I mean, vegetables, you know for those people that enjoy them and tolerate them well they're fine. I mean they're they're better than probably a lot of the processed food out there quite honestly but they are clearly not essential for human survival or even human thriving. So that's been my experience uh, both individually and collectively with you know the experience of now you know into the thousands and ten tens of thousands of people and not 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 to discount the you know the millennia of data we have from you know historical populations, which clearly demonstrated that, you know, vegetables are, you know, clearly not essential for human health. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about, you know, like our food guidelines right now, where we're told to eat, you know, five servings of fruits and vegetables every day, and they should be all different these different colors, and you know, and you think about the the the, the probability of the likelihood of being able to do that, even you know, even two hundred years ago, before refrigeration, before you know, modern agriculture and, and transportation, I mean, it would have been impossible. I mean, some of these foods, people ask you to eat are, I mean, not only do, are they not even growing in the same region? I mean, in many cases they don't even grow in the same continent and to think they would be essential for human health is just kind of laughable. When you think about the whole the totality of the human existence, which many people argue goes back about 3 million years with the very first humans, such as, you know, Homo habilis. And, uh, you know, as humans sort of evolved and we we have to realize that most of the time that humans have been on earth, including Homo sapiens, uh, we were afflicted with an ice age and, you know, the climate was very different. It was much colder. Uh, instead of tropical forests, you had more grasslands and you had a lot less plant diversity. Uh, and particularly as people ranged, as you know, we know Homo, Homo erectus kind of left Africa, went into Europe and Asia about a million and a half years ago uh, during the ice ages. And so they would have, you know, clearly been at a loss to Eat a wide variety of fruits and vegetables. Uh, back then, I mean, the thing they did have access to were large uh, mega herbivores, which were in abundance and and actually very easy to harvest. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, again, I I don't sit here and say vegetables are poison and they're awful and you shouldn't eat them. But I'm to, to, to suggest that they are somehow crucial for human health, survival, or even optimal health. You know, it's just not backed up by. I would say common sense. You know, if anything else, I mean, you can, we can uh, sort of say, well, there's scientific literature, but you know, we look when you look at the nutrition science as a whole in general, it, it's very poor. I mean, the science, science, it's, it's not even a hard science. It's a kind of a soft science, and you know, the, the endpoints are are impossible to do, and it's it's not the fault of the researchers. It's just the nature of it. You know, you can't do human experiments like you can do animal experiments, and then you know take the rats and, you know, kill them and cut them open. You just don't do that with humans. So uh, the short answer is no, vegetables are not required.
0: Mm. We had uh, Dr. Bill Schindler on, and he seemed to confirm what you're saying, that hunter-gatherers didn't tend to have granola bars and yogurt snacks in between finding animals to kill. (laughs) Um, And I, I don't think most people even consider the fact that they can walk into a grocery store 365 days a year and buy an apple and not really consider, like, where did we get this? How was it stored? Yeah, and
1: I would, and I think it's important to draw the distinction between fruits and vegetables. I mean, you know, first of all, you know, when you like particularly these leafy green vegetables and cruciferous vegetables, which, which didn't exist, by the way. Most of the cruciferous vegetables were bred from a mustard, you know, mustard plant and, you know, a couple thousand years ago. So these things didn't exist. And you think about it to eat leaves, you know, we we have the spinach and kale and, you know, rocket and all this other stuff that were told is so good for us. But I mean, no one would have eaten that unless they were starving, because there's no really calories, no nutritional value. It tastes very bitter. Um, you know, I think early humans didn't have nutritionists telling you to eat, you know, five a day or, you know, 10 servings of grains. They ate what was one going to provide them energy and calories and protein and nutrition. And then two things that they actually enjoyed eating, you know, it tasted good and weren't bitter and, and you know, sort of off putting. So I, I think that in most vegetables, by the way, that we eat today were, are all modern human creations they're hybridized plants that didn't exist that long ago so i mean i would say fruit was probably in my view more something that humans would have eaten likely
0: Mm. yeah i i have an apple tree nearby where i live and i see the apples that come off of that tree that just kind of grows wild and the fruit is much smaller it's it's you know fairly tasty but not nearly as sweet as what you can buy at the normal store
1: yeah i mean clearly i mean we've we've sort of selected for, you know, high starch content, some, some, you know, some of the like, you know, potatoes and carrots and things like that. And then sweetness. I mean, those, those things are just, uh, you know, obviously very different from what humans grew up with, I suppose. Mm.
0: So how do you define the carnivore diet? What is it?
1: Yeah, I try not to be particularly dogmatic. When I give lectures, when you know, back when I used to be able to travel and give lectures when they allowed when they allowed humans to do that, um, I would always say that you know, a carnivore diet is a diet that really f- the focuses on highly nutritious animal-based foods. I mean, this is this is the essence of it. It's not some dogmatic religion where, you know, if you eat a blueberry, your the police are going to come arrest you and lock you up and point at you. I mean, I just I think if we focus on animal-based foods, and then we either fully eliminate or limit as necessary the plant foods uh, with the goal of health being in mind, and that that to me defines carnivore diet. So that means that, you know, some people will have different tolerances. Some people are fine having steak with various seasonings on it just, just because they like it, because it gives it more uh, sort of, uh, you know, flavor appeal. Uh, some people will have a small amount of fruit or something like that. To me, that's fine. Um, There are many people, and I think this is also something that's important, there are many people that don't do well at all with anything included, so they have to be very strict with that. And I think that's something that, I think that part of it is the part that really, for whatever reason, gets people angry or mad. It's like, how dare you not eat in a way that everyone else eats? How dare you buck the system? And I think that's very unfortunate. I mean, you know, we we can be open to the fact that people exclude meat from their diet and call themselves vegans. uh, And sort of no one bats an eye at that. I mean, there's a lot of people that sort of think it's ridiculous. But I mean, it's not the mainstream nutritionists are saying, Oh, my gosh, that's the worst thing in the world. They just say, well, you just got to be careful and this and that. But when you talk about eating meat and excluding these plants, it's like, how dare you? How dare you go against the teaching you know, yeah. that we've been, we've been sort of indoctrinated with since, you know, since we were kids, literally, I mean, how many of us can remember our parents saying, Hey, eat your friggin' broccoli or your peas or your cold peas. Cause they've been sitting on the table for 45 minutes and now they taste awful. I mean, cause your parents are just forcing you to eat these vegetables that you don't necessarily like, um, you know, because it's quote unquote good for you, or it's an acquired taste. Uh, but you know, to question that is, is considered heretical, which I think is, I mean, I think it's a little silly, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. And that's part of the reason why I love your approach so much. And I want to talk about that uh, a little bit more later on in the show, but you, you do have a way of making this really approachable for people and it's, it's welcoming. It should be something that helps people, not something we, one more thing we have to argue about. Um, how did you first find the carnivore diet?
1: Um, well, I was already low carb and then I was on a ketogenic diet and I was just kind of immersing myself in the, I guess, the diet culture, the, you know, the, the literature, the books, uh, you know, obviously we now have social media for good or bad. There's a lot of sort of the controversy about it now with censorship and so on and so forth, but that's a topic for another day. But, you know, going in there, and I, I just kind of stumbled across a group of people on one of the social media sites. You know, They had several thousand people that were all doing this all meat diet, and, you know, I, just like everyone else that hears about it, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And I started reading and, you know, you know, listening to people and saying, hey, these people are genuine and they're, they're actually getting better. And I'd already kind of bought into this low-carb, ketogenic, not necessarily cult, but I mean, it was, I mean, I understood sort of the science behind it and there was some benefit. And, and you know, I could, I'd already questioned mainstream nutrition anyway, knowing how sort of poorly the science has been done. And so I just kind of just kind of observed these guys for about a year and, you know, I just kind of read and looked at some of the source material and read some of the actual source material. And then just kind of for my own personal sort of curiosity as an athlete. And I've been, a, you know, obviously a very high level competitive athlete my whole life. I said, well, I wonder if this would improve my, you know, my performance in, in, in whatever, you know, whatever event I was thinking about at the time. And so I said I'm going to try and I just kind of ease myself into it. I did it, I mean, at first I just did like one carnivore meal, which I think was something like steak and eggs. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. And I did that for, you know, I would do it a day. And then I would do two, three days in a row. And, and, you know, I, I always felt good when I did it. I didn't really have any problems. Kind of eventually worked up to a week, then two, 10 days, and then two weeks. And, you know, I think somewhere in the end of 2016, I think it was, yeah, about four years ago, um, I did a month and I felt wonderful. I mean, I really did. I was like, oh, this really is something that I haven't felt this good in a long time. Um, when the month was over, I, you know, I said, well, I'm going to go back to kind of a regular diet because this was a 30 day experiment. And I mean, literally the day after going back on this regular diet, I just didn't feel as good. I, my, I just got aches and pains and my, you know, at that time I was, I just turned 50. Uh, you know, you have some accumulative damage from all the trauma, from all the sports I played my whole life. And I was like, wow, I don't really, I really prefer feeling really, really good. So I went back on the, you know, kind of the all meat diet. And, uh, um, you know, at that time I was just kind of starting on social media, had a little bit of a following, but I managed to convince about a hundred people to try it. I mean, late about six months in uh, and we got a hundred people to do it. And we did, they did it for 90 days fairly strictly. And we, and we recorded you know, their, their outcomes. And by, by and large, everyone did really well. I mean, every, the average person lost around 30 pounds in 90 days. Oh. Uh, they uh, saw significant improvements and pretty much every single subjective thing there was that we could list that we could, we could do, because we were doing it for free. So we didn't have a lot of money to spend on it. Some objective things like, you know, waist size, weight, uh, heart rate, things like that we could merit, that we could measure all seem to improve track their bowel movement frequency, you know, and and everything. I mean, it was just, it was very interesting. And then I, you know, obviously uh, not long after that, I, I guess I got the attention of Joe Rogan. Apparently a lot of people, I don't know, must've tagged him on that. He invited me on And You know, at that time I wasn't even really aware of the influence that he had. Cause I didn't, you know, like I said, I, I was kind of vaguely aware of what he did, but I didn't really pay much attention. And, uh, you know, I just kind of went on relax. You know, Joe was a really nice, gracious hosts and i still contact you i still talk with them you know from time to time still even today but uh you know i just kind of did my thing and you know i wasn't there to present a scientific dissertation you know it wasn't like i brought a bunch of studies and then truth be told there's not a lot of studies on a carnivore diet. fortunately that's changing and we're seeing things heading that way but obviously then that sort of got a lot of attention and uh, unfortunately, brought a lot of negative attention my way because you know people that are opposed to eating meat, namely sort of vegan activists, just started you know you know attacking and aggressively, you know kind of trying to uh, discredit me. and anyway, so that 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 occurred. And uh, you know here I am today, four years later, still so going strong and you know tens and tens upon tens of thousand people, maybe maybe even a few hundred thousand people have now either tried the diet or very much aware of it.
0: I mean, I just, just an hour ago, I went downstairs into our home gym and my wife was training her client when she's in her mid fifties and they were talking about the carnivore diet. So people are more aware of it. And I think it, a lot of it is because of that appearance and, and your ability to kind of share this with the world. What made you want to be vocal about it and, and share your experiences?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I'm a physician. I mean, this when I, when I was whatever, 16 years of age and decided I wanted to go be a doctor and go to medical school and you know, did all the work and did, you know, something like 13 years of training and schooling and, you know, sleepless nights and, you know, all the studying and working hard. I mean, my goal was to help people. I mean, I, I truly had a passion for that. At the same time, I was uh, very passionate about athletics and performance, and I found something that I think could benefit both those things, you know, and I mean, and honestly, my true interest really, even though I, I I do a lot of sports related stuff and strength training and physique and that type of stuff. My true interest is really health. And I, I just love seeing people that, you know, are otherwise debilitated for various reasons, whether it's mental health disorders, pain, you know, chronic pain issues, you know, autoimmune diseases, GI diseases, whatever it is, get, you know, better in, in, in some ways, someplace, sometimes just miraculously so. Uh, And I see that every single day, and so this is something that I am very passionate that this should be something that more people are aware of, more people are given it as an option, more people try it. Now, it doesn't necessarily going to mean it's going to work for everybody, but I mean, my gosh, what is the harm in doing something that you know helps so many people? And we get this pushback, uh, people that don't even you know, you know, if you think about the science, there's people out there saying the science is settled. There's no no reason to look further. Um, And then you show these, you know, not one or two people, but now tens and and dozens and hundreds and thousands of people, literally, I mean, all of them saying, look, I've gotten significantly better. Some of them and many of them have significant objective evidence, whether it's lab studies or imaging studies showing clear reversal of disease coming off medication, so on and so forth. People that were bedbound that are now walking and dancing and running and playing and, you know, they feel like they're you know new again, new whole people again. And for other people out there and say, I dismiss it as just, it's simply dangerous. We shouldn't do it. We shouldn't explore it. We shouldn't test it. To me, that's, that's kind of a tragedy.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, what, was there anything that surprised you the most as the results started to come in and people were trying it? What, was there anything that really surprised you that was improving across the board for most people that you, you didn't think was very obvious when you got started?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, again, a carnivore diet, If you think about what, if you look at it on, on this substance, I mean, it's, it's a low carb diet, obviously it is a diet that is devoid of junk food, obviously it is a high protein diet. Uh, you know, so, I mean, the fact that people lose weight, the fact that their metabolic issues tend to get better is not a surprise at all to me. You know, what was, I thought the, the really interesting things to me were you know, some of the autoimmune conditions that were getting better. You know, this is something that, you know, you can go, you can lose weight on a calorie counting diet on a low fat diet. You typically don't see the dramatic improvements in autoimmune conditions. You know, some of the things that really shocked me were some people that had actually these genetic diseases. You know, one in particular is something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, where you have this you know, genetic connective tissue disorder and it results in People with extremely elastic skin, elastic joints, they suffer from chronic joint dislocations where they, their joints just pop out of place almost on a daily basis. Uh, and, they don't, and, you know, they end up developing debilitating arthritis because, you know, they've got this joint that's, com, com, you know, on a daily basis being traumatized. And we had several people now that have come forth and said, look, I went on a carnivore diet and my joint stopped dislocating, you know, and my pain went away. I was able to work out. and." Uh-huh. I mean, this is, these are the things that were just kind of shocking to me that there would be, you know, bona fide genetic disorders that, you know, improve significantly. And so the the guess is, you know, these, these genetic problems are probably subject to epigenetic modifications in the environment, just like, you know, just like anything else might be. So that to me was probably the most interesting, you know, type of thing.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer. Um, we typically will ask for some listener questions and this week we have a lot of them. Um, so we can kind of just rapid fire and just briefly talk about each one of these things. Sure. I'm going to start with the most common ones that I get. The first one is fiber. I, I get this one all the time that won't you stop going number two if you don't eat fiber?
1: No, that's not true at all. Now, what will happen is you will go less frequently because let's think about it. Fiber is not digestible by humans. You know, you bacteria can ferment some of it in the colon, but largely it pass through, pass, passes through us unchanged. And what happens, fiber tends to bind up many of the nutrients. So all those organic fruits and vegetables you're eating, much of the nutrition is bound to the fiber and you can't even access it. And so uh, what happens is you, instead of going to the bathroom two or three times a day, having a bowel movement, you may go once a day or once every two days or three days for some people, depending on how much they eat, uh, particularly early on. When the transition period, a lot of people may not have a bowel movement for the first week uh, and usually they're not in any pain. They're not having any issues. Just they're just they're just not making waste product, uh, you know. But, you know, honestly, most people will report that their bowel function, the ease at which they have bowel movements, the 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 lack of discomfort, even the lack of being aware of digestion. You know, like I said, I like to use this sort of sort of sort of. I guess I don't know if it's an analogy, but. If, if your lungs hurt every time you take a breath or your knees ache every time you go up and down the stairs, you're going to clearly say, hey, there's something wrong here. You know, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But if our guts hurt, we get bloated, we get, you know, we get, we, we get discomfort, we get, you know, any of those things, we will attribute that to, to being normal.
0: Okay, next question. What about carbohydrates um, in general? Aren't carbohydrates necessary in certain cells? if I don't eat carbohydrates, how will those, you know, the red blood cells or parts of the kidney or the brain, how will they be able to do what they need to do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's partially correct in that they will utilize glucose, Uh, you know, that, that is true. So, you know, there's certain cells that are 100% dependent upon glucose, the brain to some degree, uh, you know, to a certain level, red blood cells, renal medulla, some of the testicular Uh, cells uh, will use uh, glucose but we make glucose you know it's it's uh, we have a very robust system for making glucose out of either uh, amino acids uh, which we get from protein out of uh, glycerol which we get from fats or even from lactate which which occurs when glucose is utilized in glycolysis and we have this lactate reshuttling through the recycling via the cori cycle so we have no difficulty producing the glucose we need to run the red blood cells the brain so on and so forth you know like i said i haven't had any significant amount of carbohydrate and i say that because you know there's a little bit in some dairy there's a little bit in eggs and i do occasionally have that but you know minimal to none for four years now my brain you know seems to work well although some people may disagree with that (laughs) but you know i'm able to function extremely extremely well uh based on you know the the self-generated glucose via via gluconeogenesis and then subsequently the glycogenolysis that occurs when we you know break down the glycogen that's been stored in our muscles and in our liver and it's and it's pretty interesting a number of studies now jeff Fullick and another one this came out this year and i forget the author looking at people on low-carb ketogenic states and seeing that you know glycogen is pretty well kept intact you know with very minimal depreciation minimal uh glycogen losses within the muscle or or the liver so we while we use glucose, we do not need to ingest it to to utilize
0: it. Mm, I think that's so important for people to understand. Um I think a lot of people think of um plants as having all the um nutrients that we need. Is that where we find nutrients? Are they available to us? What's the story there?
1: yeah, so that's a that's another interesting question and you know i you know, I think most people point to vitamin c. there's some others out there, folate, manganese, some of these other ones calcium um but at the end of the day. You know, we so the things we require in our diet, and this is in, you know, this is not even contested biochemistry. We uh require uh, amino acids, you know, the essential amino acids, we require fatty acids, we require minerals, and we require vitamins. These are the requirements for a human body. Um, you can get them all from an animal diet now. If you want to reach the RDA, and again, the RDA is a suggestion based on population studies looking at populations that are eating largely carbohydrate and grain-based diets. So they, again, those standards don't necessarily apply to someone on a carbohydrate on a carbohydrate deficient or, or incomplete diet uh, like a carnivore diet. And you know, even as recently as 2017, they're starting to recognize that. For example, let's talk about zinc. So zinc is again one of these one of these required minerals. Um, we know that if you eat X amount of phytic acid, and phytic acid is found in grains, it's found in beans, it's found in legumes, that if you eat 1,000 milligrams of phytic acid or one gram per day, your zinc requirement will double. If you eat two grams of phytic acid a day, your zinc requirement will now triple. So what we see is that our background baseline diet dramatically impacts our nutrient requirements. You know, For instance, carbohydrates drive Uh, magnesium requirements significantly. I think I've seen somewhere that to utilize one gram of carbohydrates takes up 28 grams of magnesium. So for every carbohydrate you ingest, you're using 28 times magnesium. Now we have many, many people that are magnesium deficient. We're seeing that being seen over and over again so the question is are we not able to get as much magnesium in the diet anymore or is it because we're eating in such a high carb diet that we are dramatically driving up those requirements to the point that we have deficiencies i mean these questions and there's no there's numerous you know uh nutrients we can talk about in that regard but no you don't need to eat plants to get them even the phytonutrients that people talk about which one are, are likely not essential um, we see that animals, uh, and this is interesting when we get people talking about uh, some of the animal nutrition, you know, we're used to seeing you know things like uh, creatine and carnosine and protein and fats and B vitamins and so on and so forth. But we're seeing that a lot of the animals actually concentrate phytonutrients within their flesh, whether it's the fat or their muscle. Uh, and so you can get some of those phytonutrients probably in a more bioavailable form in the animal fat or the animal, you know, tissue itself, which is, you know, another thing that I think is interesting. Mm.
0: We had a question come in from Scott Mislinski, and he asked how bulking on carnivore is going for you. Uh, (laughs) I've put
1: on 40 pounds in about a month. So
0: (laughs) how's that sound?
1: Uh, You know, I mean, you know, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I was in a very depleted state and this is partly intentional due due to some of the things I was experimenting with. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm kind of getting, I've kind of gotten back to, so I'm the heaviest I've been at least in three or four years right now. Uh, And I probably will within another two weeks, I'll probably be the heaviest I've been in a decade. And, you know, I've gained a little bit of body fat, but it's, it's largely muscle. And now I'm eating to the point that I don't want to eat anymore. I mean, I'm eating, you know, when I'm not hungry and I'm eating and I'm walking around kind of full all the time and a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, But that's what you got to do when you want to pack on weight. You know, I mean, this is a, this is the way you do it. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it, it depends how fast you're trying to put the weight on and that type of stuff. I mean, certainly a lot of people, particularly guys say, Oh, I can't eat enough. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It just is. I mean, that's, that's what you got to do. Even if you're full and stuffed, you say, okay. And then you walk away. And then two hours later you go and eat again. And you just kind of You just keep doing it until you gain weight. I mean, this is how I did it you know, 25 years ago when I first went from 240 to 280 pounds, I just ate and ate and ate and ate constantly. Now then I was eating everything under the sun. I was eating 10 ice cream sandwiches at a time, uh, you know, probably gave myself metabolic syndrome doing that. So this time, <laughs> uh, while I'm eating, you know, it's basically a lot of steak, I'm probably eating, you know, five, 6,000 calories a day four 500 grams of protein a day, you know, similar amount of fat. Um, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm eating a lot and it's something that, uh, you know, I'll be kind of glad when I get to where I want to go and I'll kind of dial that back in, back down to my kind of maintenance of about 3,500 to 4,000, 4,500 calories a day, depending on activity level. But uh, that's a lot of Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it's clear. I mean, to build muscle, and I mean, that's what we care about is building muscle. It requires protein and caloric, you know, and calories. I mean, this is it, it doesn't require carbohydrates but you've got to be willing to eat to a point where you're uncomfortable and then keep eating. I mean, if you talk to any, even the guys that are, you know, like even using carbs, these guys that uh, are world's strongest man competitors, where they're weighing 350, 400 pounds, you know, these top level bodybuilders that come on stage at 270 pounds ripped. I mean, you know, outside, I mean, of course they are using all kinds of drugs and that stuff. And I'm not, You know, I'm not somebody that's interested in that or a fan of that. But at the same time, eating for them is probably the worst part. You know, they, you know, they talk about training, they bust their ass in the gym, but it's eating. I mean, it's the constantly eating and always being full. That is that is probably the hardest part. And many of them just, I mean, you think you'd find at first you think, well, it's cool. I get to eat whatever I want as much as I want, but that novelty or fun wears out, you know, pretty quick after a week or two when you're you know, you're still stuffed. and You're like, oh, I got to eat again. <laughs> that's the hard part. And that's a yeah. work part that most people don't realize. And they, you know, when they say, I just can't gain weight, I'm just like, well, you're just not trying hard enough. You're not yeah. eating. You're not, you're just not eating enough.
0: Mm. Um, let's go the opposite direction. We had a listener question that asked what types of exercise go best with the carnivore diet for weight loss.
1: Well, I think, again, I, I would say I would just challenge the premise of that question. I think weight loss is going to be diet. I mean, I think this is going to be the number one factor that's going to allow you to lose weight. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's going to be how many calories you eat. And I know that's that's kind of a little bit heretical in, in the sort of low-carb community, but calories do play a role in losing weight. Now, um, can you potentially eat more calories on a carnivore diet and lose weight relative to another diet? Sure, you can. And the reasons for that are... Uh, you know, protein thermic, thermic effect of protein. There appears to be, although it's very highly con- contested, that fat versus carbohydrates might have a, an additional metabolic effect. I mean, David, uh, sorry, David Ludwig and others have, have, have demonstrated that in a number of studies. It's very controversial, but there's no doubt that higher protein amounts clearly, you know, allow you to eat more, more, more grams of protein, more calories, uh, and protein, and and you'll be able to to eat more and you know, potentially lose more weight that way. So, that does occur. Now, having said that, um, I think for my money, um, and I think it's you know, I think when we lose weight, our goal should be to lose body fat and not not muscle. Um, I think strength training, you know, resistance training, is my preferred. You know, if I if I have to prioritize what I'm doing, I'm going to do some sort of strength training first. I want to make sure I you know, squats, deadlifts, pushups, bench press, overhead press. You know, heavy kettlebell swings, something along those lines, some kind of bodybuilding isolation exercise, if you like that stuff, that has to be first in my view. You want to preserve that lean muscle mass. You want to continue to send those signals to your that your, to your body that hey, we need to partition our our calories, our protein into the muscle mass and not utilize muscle as a fuel source as we're losing things. So instead of becoming skinny fat and just a skinnier version of the same body composition, you want to recomposite to where you have you know more muscle, less fat. Uh, and then after that, you know, I think there's you know some some degree of cardiovascular exercise that's beneficial. Um, for, you know, I, I like hit training or sprint interval training uh, because just because of the time efficiency. You know, I can get a I can get a very powerful VO2 max building cardiorespiratory respiratory beneficial workout done in 10 minutes of sprinting. You know, maybe every two minutes five reps. You know, 10 20 second all out sprints versus what it would take me to do, you know, you know, an hour and a half of jogging or, or whatever. Now, having said that in mind, I also, you know, I go for a walk. I take my dogs for a walk every morning. I get up, I go for about an hour walk, do that, you know, once or twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Some days I'll walk 15 miles. That for me, um, I don't consider that exercise. I mean, it does have an impact and it does, you know, promote some fat loss. But that's probably tertiary on my list. So the last thing I would do is go jogging. I mean, I think that would be, you know, counterproductive for, again, my goal of maintaining muscle mass while I'm losing weight. And I think uh, the diet that I find successful and employed, and I, you know, I put this in this little carnivore shred program, is a higher protein approach with, you know, with refeeds, with fat refeeds. I think that's important to maintain hormone, uh, hormone production, also to kind of maintain, a reasonably met high metabolic rate. You know, it's it's you know there's going to be as as there's less of you as you lose significant amount of weight, your met- metabolic rate will slow down. I mean that's and that's normal. You know, I mean if if you go from weighing three hundred pounds to two hundred pounds, you're going to need less calories. <laughs> I mean that's yep. just that's right. That's just that's just pure you know common sense. That's pure physics there. That's
0: right. Yeah. No, I spent over ten years measuring people's metabolic rate and. The, I mean, it, every time if they did a calorically deficit diet, they might lose a little bit of weight, but it would be balanced weight between muscle mass and fat and a lot of water weight. And then they would reduce their metabolic rate. They would teach themselves to burn less calories. So the only way I could get people to keep that metabolic rate as high as possible and lose pure fat and maintain muscle mass was, was this way of life. I, exactly what you just said, carnivore ish diet, get your lifting in, be active Maybe choose some high intensity intervals, but but don't go out and just burn a lot of calories. That's going to do the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think again, it's a, it's, a, it's a protein and, and giving the protein something to do via via muscle stimulation. You know, and then you know, if you go into a little caloric deficit and making making it maintainable, this is the thing because I work with a number of, you know, different athletes, whether they're, you know, high level, uh, you know, MMA guys, or Brazilian, or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys, or people that have to make weight cuts or people that are the physique, physique contests. And, you know, many of them have done, done it. You know, they've done it the the typical way, the, you know, starvation, low calorie, low fat, low carb, just protein. They find that the carnival carnival way of doing it seems to just be so much more pleasant. And I think it's because, you know, you, you, sort of maintain some level of hormone function and i think i think getting some amount of fat rather than carbohydrate because you may remember carbohydrates are not essential but fats are and when you cut fats out for a long period of time you know you you see a deficit in in a number of you know um, biochemical processes including you know hormone production whether it's vitamin d or testosterone estrogen progesterone you know all those types of things take Mm. a hit
0: yeah um Next listener question. We're going to kind of roll this into one and I'm going to rephrase the question. There was a question on processed meat with dextrose. There was also a question about eating nose to tail, which for the listener means that you're eating all parts of the animal. You're eating organs, maybe making bone broth, things like that. Um, so my question to you, is there a hierarchy of quality that, that matters in any particular way?
1: Um, in theory, yes. I mean, you know, and I, I think I like to, and in fact, I do, I've just got on my screen, pulled up a nice article by Fred Provenza who I've interviewed. It's called, Is Grass-Fed Meat and Dairy Better for uh, Human Health and the Environment? Um, and he, and he, he, you know, this is the problem here. We have a lot of um, sort of supposition that an animal that's eating a grass-finished diet um, is going to be better for humans. And I think that's a reasonable hypothesis. And I think it makes, you know, certainly from an environmental standpoint, and I've been a champion of this as much as anyone else, you know, with with regard to promoting local food, promoting regenerative agriculture, getting people to try to buy direct from the ranchers. I mean, I try to facilitate as much as I possibly can. At the same time, I'm very reluctant to make the claims that it is significantly better for human health, just because the data doesn't exist. Um, And this is something that I hope the data will come out there, but even, you know, Fred Provenza, who's one of probably the foremost researchers in this thing will admit, yes, we do not have human data of any consequence yet. You know, it, it's just not there. Uh, and you know, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about this and I'm, I'm going to interview another researcher in the coming days, Stefan van uh, who's out of Duke university. I think he's originally from perhaps Denmark or Holland or something, but um, you know, this is the, this is the big problem with that. And we don't know. And so I've, you know, I know Harvard has gotten a study going. Uh, They're probably shortly to publish this, and it's something that I kind of helped them recruit and I and help sort of with the design of the study to some degree. And I asked them, please ask the question about grass-fed versus grain-finished beef, just so if we can see is there truly a difference in the cohorts? Because when I've done surveys and I've done a few of them now, up to 10, 12,000 people doing a carnivore diet and asked them about things like. Grass finished, grain finished, uh, organ meats—yes or no? The differences are, are really not there. I mean, you know, when when we look at outcomes, outcomes that matter—did your diabetes go away? Did you get off medications? You know, did you see improvements in all these various areas? And we don't see, you know, at least a significant difference that I can see. Uh, and so that's that's the hesitation I have. Now, if you ask me and you say, "Hey, what's better for the environment?" I clearly will tell you, "Hey, if you can afford it." Buy from a regenerative rancher, farmer, whatever. Get your produce if you're going. If you're still eating plants, go get it done that way. Find somebody that's not using using no-till, no pesticide, that type of stuff. It's better for the environment. Is it better for your health? That still remains to be seen. Probably it is, but I can't say with 100% endorsement. The problem is I have lots and lots of people, hundreds if not thousands of people that go to McDonald's and go to Walmart, you know, because that's all they can afford. I mean, literally that's what they can afford and they go on these diets where they just eat burger patties, you know, burger patties and bacon. And hey, their their freaking mental health, chronic depression is gone. You know, they they've lost, you know, 100 pounds. So we know these things work now. Is there is there a difference between the two meats, you know, whether it's regenerative versus not? Perhaps there is. Is it you know, a 50% difference or is it a 3% difference? That's a question we don't know. And until we know that I have a hard time trying to tell people, Hey, you can only do this diet and expect to get re- good results. If you're going to spend $20 a pound for, you know, a grass finished steak or something like that. Cause that sort of um, requirement makes this a diet is unapproachable for the vast majority of people. You know, nobody, you know, I, Honestly, I couldn't afford to do it, you know, if I was going to do that, you know, fortunately, I have a number of relationships with meat companies, and I get some of it sent, you know, sent as a just, you know, just kind of help for promotion. So I get a lot of meat, you know, sent to me for free, which is great. I mean, I I certainly appreciate it. But, uh, you know, to sit there and say, you can only do it this way, I think really excludes and it makes us a diet of those that are that are, you know, kind of elite, so to speak. And I I think that's, uh, that's a really harmful because there's a lot of people out there that, you know, can only afford a small amount of money and they want, they, all they're going to do is buy the cheap potato chips and cereal that they can get for, you know, two boxes for $3 or something like that. When they could have instead bought a pound of ground beef and, you and know, a dozen eggs, so much more nutrition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I really agree with you there. Um, last listener question. What is your Thanksgiving day spread going to look like? I thought this was a great one.
1: Uh, I, um, because I care so much about the lives of turkeys, I'm not going to eat a turkey. No, I'm kidding. And you know, <laughs> I can is I'm not trying, I'm not trying to be too callous, but, um, I will probably have a standing rib roast because I like beef better. I think that's a great holiday. That's a great holiday, uh, feast. And then some other, I'll probably make something else. I can't remember. i, just, I usually I'll think about it the day or two before, see what people want. See, we got people coming from out of town. Uh, don't tell Gavin Newsom our, what is it our, our, our governor here in California he may come shut it down perhaps but <laughs> I think we're going to have more than six people or whatever <laughs> but you know I'll be a few I'll be, I'll be cooking for other people non-carnivore so we'll make some non-carnivore food I'm sure and I you know I still have some retain some of those skills and you know I I cook for my kids and I still went out from from you know when of the years I was doing a ketogenic diet I still have recipes and still retain those cooking skills and that type of stuff. But the, probably the feature will be probably won't be turkey. I'm almost sure it won't be turkey. I don't even like turkey, quite honestly. I mean, it's, it's you know, the farther I've gotten on a carnivore diet, I mean, poultry has gotten less and less appealing. Not that I think there's anything necessarily wrong with it, but it just doesn't appeal to me. And I and I, I just I just wonder, you know, if I was a caveman, you know, 200,000 years ago running around with a spear and you said, hey, go kill something, am I going to want to try to kill some birds with that spear or am I going to go after a big slow-moving herbivore? It's going to have, you know, 50,000 times more calories. I mean, you know, you remember if anybody's ever seen Rocky, how hard it was for Rocky to corral that little chicken in a pen. Now try to catch a killer, catch a, a live animal out in the wild with a spear. Good luck getting a lot of calories that way, you
0: know. Those wild turkeys <laughs> look mean, too. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, I mean, that's true. But I mean, I just don't think it would have been very very likely that we were spearing a lot of birds, you know, until, you I mean, later we developed, you know, it's just kind of interesting. You look at the technology for hunting and bow and arrow technology come and came into effect around 60,000 years ago. And that probably was in response to the loss of all this mega herbivore, uh, you know, food sources as they died off from either overhunting, you know, environmental changes or, you know, some people will suggest climate events. But whatever it was, humans lost their main food supply. And then we had to, you know, we had to overcome that. And that's where we, you know, developed all these plant processing skills and, you know, started to have the change or diet. I mean, fortunately, humans did that. That's why we're here today. But the reason we're human in the first place is because of meat. Uh, but we maybe survived as a species because we retained that small capacity to, you know, still figure out how to get some nutrition oh. from plants. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, we have about 10 more minutes. Uh, let's take a quick break, bring you back for a few more questions and let's call it a day. Now, at one point, it it said, and I've heard you talk about this before. That you you played rugby in New Zealand with the All Blacks. Is that correct?
1: Uh, against All uh, Blacks, that's 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 <laughs> that's what I what I would say. I mean, I was playing in their Premier League, uh, and there were you know All Blacks playing on opposing teams that I, that I was able to play against. And so that that would be more clear. So I guess on the same field as New Zealand All Blacks.
0: What was this, what was that like? <laughs> Uh, it was a great time.
1: I mean, it was fun. I mean, I got to, I was 20, God, I was what was I, about 20, I can't remember how it was, 23, 24, something like that, you know, still kind of young and stupid and, you know, running around, you know, just <laughs> kind of carefree, you know, running around, being an athlete, um, you know, drinking some beer and, uh, you know, having a great time. You know, New Zealand's a beautiful, New Zealand is just a gorgeous country. I got to tell you, it's, it's, amazing. Uh, it's, it's uh, great people. I worked, I worked all these odd jobs and kind of the you know, in addition to playing rugby, I was a bartender. I, I was a garbage man. I helped shear sheep, delivered milk. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't remember, what it, dug gas lines. I mean, I did all these fun little things on the side, uh, you know, bartender, I said bartender. Yeah, but I mean, it was just, uh, it was a great experience. I love it. Hopefully I get back there one of these days. It's been 20, 30, it's been 30 years now. Wow. Yeah, I think it's been almost, well, almost 30, 29 years ago, 28 years ago, I was there.
0: Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Um, you mentioned doing studies and you're actually doing some, can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, well, I I mean, to be more, uh, sort of, uh, to clarify, I'm fundraising to get some studies done or get a study done, a carnivore carnivore clinical trial and intervention study where we're going to actually take, you know, a group of people that have a medical condition or medical conditions and put them on a diet for a period of time Compare them to another group that doesn't get the carnivore intervention, and and to see what the outcomes are. Who does better? That is uh, that is a goal. We're raising money for that. We have oh I mean close to one hundred fifty thousand dollars raised from crowdfunding. Uh, we're going to continue. Uh, we might have some more money coming in, hopefully uh, in January. I've been kind of I've been kind of I kind of I was pushing pretty hard. You know, it's starting in the summer, and we raised that money, and then we've kind of taken a little bit of break in the fundraising to. Till we get through the holidays, and then probably at the first year, we'll start fundraising again, and then, uh, you know, get that going, get that study done. I've, I've we've talked with a number of researchers, you know, five or ten different research organizations that could potentially do this for us. I'm not a, you know, I am not a researcher by training or background, so I'm not going to spend a half a million dollars trying to learn how to do a study. I mean, I'm going to go to professionals that do this for a living, and to say this is what we want to study. You know, these are the outcomes we're looking at. These are the people we want to include. And then here's some money and go do it. And so it'll be an independent study, you know, and uh, we'll see what the results are. Maybe they'll show that, you know, everybody gets sick and does worse on a carnivore diet. I, I suspect not. But uh, <laughs> I mean, at least it'll be there, this actual intervention trial. And I think that opens a way for a number of other studies.
0: Interesting. Um, where do you see yourself in the future? Five years down the road?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, hopefully I am. Well, I mean, I, I plan on still being, you know, CEO of this company I'm doing, Meter X. Hopefully it'll be uh, much larger than it is right now. We're coming up on a one year anniversary. We've got something like almost 5,000 members and hundreds of coaches. And, you know, so we're continuing to grow uh, at a pretty decent rate. Uh, Hopefully we're going to, we're going to scale that up, uh, you know, hopefully two or three times this year, and then hopefully get to the 10, 50, 100 fold by about five years. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know we'll have made some inroads against this nutritional dogma. Enough people will, you know, I'd like to see, you know, many many physicians empowered to utilize this as a treatment modality for for many other patients. I think we can do. I think we can do it. I think there's enough level of frustration, you know, in the community and and even among physicians that are just tired of. Not seeing people get better, and and certainly patients with these conditions that are not getting better, and it's just going from, you know, drug to drug to treatment to treatment to specialist to specialist, only to see minimal to no improvement, uh, at, at a huge, tremendous cost. And so, hopefully, we can start to, you know, change the dynamic or the paradigm on how we deal with these things because we are, you know, three point five trillion dollars a year on medical care in the United States it's just unsustainable. And that's direct care. You know, if you look at indirect costs, it's something some people have estimated 50% of our GDP, which is just, and it's growing, and it's growing. So that's just not sustainable. So we have to do something different. And I think this is something that is, you know, a looming, huge, huge crisis is going to, you know, you know, uh, it's going to be one of the many things that we've got to take care of.
0: Mm. You have said in the past, I, I want to know if you still think this, you have said in the past, that the best indication for health Tomorrow is how you feel today. Do you still believe that more than any other metric you could be looking at?
1: Yeah, I mean, in general terms, absolutely. I mean, you know, like, like I said, if I've got back pain today, odds I'm still going to have back pain tomorrow. Um, and I think it's as simple as that. I mean, I think that uh, yes, there are things that you know you can do that will uh, you know benefit you long term. But I mean, you know, you if you've got diabetes or depression or something like that, if you don't change. You know, this is a problem. We have a lot of belief that the what we do today is going to make us live to hundred or live to one hundred and eighty. If you're Dave Asprey, or you know, protect us from dying, or we, we some people just think they're going to live forever. Oh, we're you know we're never going to die. And, and the truth is, you know, everybody dies. Most people die of heart disease, and then then they die of cancer, and then they die of you know pneumonia or you know neurocognitive deficits. You know, dementia. So on and so forth, or suicide, or something along those lines. I mean, it happens to almost every single person. I mean, everyone dies, but those are the main causes for most people. And I think that we just do not have the data, despite what people say, that show us that, you know, eat, doing this or eating that is going to protect us from this or that disease long term. You know, I mean, what we can say is having diabetes, particularly untreated or poorly managed. Having, you know, obesity, you know, having central body, you know, central visceral adiposity, having chronic inflammation clearly is going to lead to a worse outcome. I mean, that's, 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 I think there's more evidence to say that than if you eat this or that, you know, I mean, what you can do is look in the mirror. And when I say look in the mirror, I use that, I'm I'm kind of talking figuratively and not so much literally, but yeah, you can look in the actual mirror and say, Hey, I'm, I'm leaner. More muscular than I was six months ago, but also you can look at other metrics of you know of health. You know you can take a waist to height measurement. You can, I mean, you can tell when you're depressed. You know when you're when you've got no zest for life. When you're just getting out of bed is a chore every day. Is every day is a chore rather than you wake up, smile, you attack today, and you look forward to the next day. I mean, you know, then you look forward to going to sleep because you're tired and you've done everything and you sleep well. I mean, those things are, I think, very very important to um utilize as as metrics for how your health is and quality of life i mean quality of life to me is i mean if you're going to live to 100 and spend the last 30 40 years debilitated you know ending up in a diaper and demented and muttering to yourself and drooling all over yourself is that really something you want i mean i'd rather instead of live to 100 i'd much rather live to 97 or 92 and have a full robust life and maybe drop dead of a heart attack you know, skiing or something like that. I mean, this is, I mean, this is, a, I guess, a central difference. And quite honestly, I think the people that feel good, perform good, have good mental outlooks, you know, are, are not in pain, tend to live longer anyway. I mean, that's, you know, that's just, uh, I mean, there's, there's actually some data that supports that, but at the end of the day, I mean, quality of life, how you feel is such an important thing we should look to achieve. I, and I mean, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at physicians and you know, as, as a physician, I think your goal should be to fix the patient in front of you today, and not give them some platitudes about stop eating all that cholesterol. You're going to die of a heart attack in 20 years. Your job should be, hey, if we measured the patient, you know, if physicians were paid based upon, you know, let's get our patients happier, let's get our patients healthier today. You know, let, let's have them lose weight. We would have a tremendous difference in what our emphasis are instead we we just look at biomarkers and say well we're going to because your cholesterol is high, we're going to throw you on a lipid lowering drug or or, you know a a cholesterol lowering drug or uh you know we're going to put you on some you know metformin or some other sulfonylurea or sglt 2 inhibitors to lower your glucose uh, and then we get paid some sort of uh you know reward for that but if we were to say hey let's make this patient smile and lose weight and let's see how fast they can run a mile and how much weight they can deadlift. We would completely change how we do business.
0: Yeah. I I love that. I love that answer. That's, that's a great way to close this thing out. Normally we would ask um, a few more questions, but I want to close a little bit differently and I want to read you something um, that I think was, was really amazing. Um, These came from my clients. When I asked them if they had any questions for you, A bunch of them said they didn't have questions. And I think that that alone is a compliment to how understandable you made this for them, that they have it kind of settled down. Um, But two replies that I got back, um, one said, no questions I can think of, but a huge thank you to him for his content and trailblazing. And then the second said, a giant thank you from our family, having the courage to discuss carnivore openly on Joe Rogan. My family has benefited in innumerable ways from carnivore that started with hearing you speak. So thank you for your work. Our daughter has her mother back. My wife has her life back. Um, How does that make you feel?
1: Well, I mean, that's why I get out of bed every day. I mean, quite honestly, I hear those stories literally every single day. And uh, I mean, and I appreciate it. And I certainly do. And I mean, you know, I mean, and, and I will fully not take credit, I mean, for, you know, helping to popularize it. But I mean, there's been a lot of people who came before me, you know, even in recent times, but you know, through the years, I'm not the one that sort of first started talking about eating meat diets. This is this, this goes back well into the 1700s, but um I think that, and I think it was Dr. Robert Sivas. She might've been referring to in Florida. So that might be who she's talking to, talking about, but I mean, this, is and this is my challenge to, to these people is if you have been helped by, by what I've done or others have done, I think it's it's incumbent upon you to help other people pay it forward, let people know even you've, 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 the benefit you've received. So other people, Again, the more people that do this, you know, this isn't a job for one person. This is a job for a community of thousands and, and hopefully millions of people to change the way we do this. And this is how things change when enough people make it so and we can drive the market because this is, you know, I think a lot of this stuff, we, we, you know, we just went through a political an election for president. And, you know, people are whatever side you fall on, you know, people are kind of become wary of the, of the entire voting system. Uh, you know, and so I think the way you vote is with your pocketbook and and your actions. And I think this is, this is a lesson for all of us. So I think hopefully more people will be willing to say, Hey, look, this is, this is reasonable and, you know, take the steps necessary to, to promote it and support it.
0: Wow. Well, that's a wonderful way to end this conversation. Um, for me personally, it's, it's really been an amazing thing and it's been an amazing way for me to connect with my clients and, um, really appreciate you and your work and the courage that you did have to come out with it. Um, where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, meet our is the number one place I'd like people to go. Just check it out. I mean, I'm there seven days a week, 365 days a year with the exception of maybe I'm traveling. Those are the only days I've missed every day, 9am Pacific time. I have an open free forum, zoom call meeting. We have, you know, 50 to hundred people every day in there. We share stories, ask questions, answer questions, you know, a lot of times we have some kind of guest interview that you can actually access those people ask questions as well. Like this morning we had Dom D'Agostino and oh,
0: wow, so on. Cool.
1: So we have all kinds of great content there at Meter X. That's where I really like people to go because that supports what we do and help us move this community as a cohesive force. Uh, beyond that, I have social media. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Sean Baker 1967 spelled S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R one nine sixty one nine six seven. Uh, I'm on Twitter s Baker MD. I'm on YouTube. I'm um, actually just started on parlor parlay Baker Sean 67. That seems to give you a little more. I know there's a lot of people that don't like that platform because politicized, but I don't do any political stuff. I'm not really a political guy. I'm just here. I just would like to be able to speak openly without being worried about being fact-checked or censored, which I have experienced on some of the other social media platforms, unfortunately. Wow. So kind of gotten frustrated with that. So I've kind of I'm kind of diversifying and kind of being in different places just in case, you know, we see further, you know, because, of you know, first they started with political speech, which, you know, you, how do you feel about that? I'm, I'm not really into that. Uh, then we started seeing how the coronavirus stuff was was sort of monitored and moderated and limited so that they shut down kind of any dissension. And and we're, we've seen some of that to some degree with, with the diet stuff. And so I think I'm concerned that this all-meat diet or low-carb ketogenic diets are going to be continued to be demonized and perhaps, you know, deplatformed to some degree. So I think we have to uh, do what we can to prevent that happening.
0: Mm, well, that's very interesting. Well, listen, again, we really appreciate you coming on. We appreciate your generosity with your time today and your willingness to share and make something really approachable that helps a lot of people. So thank you very much. My pleasure, Casey. I
1: got, got another one of these to do here in a little bit too. So awesome.
0: <laughs> Well, take care. Have a great day. And this has been Casey Ruff with another episode of Boundless Body Radio.